The words of Jesus. Creative, causative, prophetic, instructional, part 16. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The words of Jesus, Matthew 5:43-48. This is one of the most counterintuitive commands Jesus gives. It shows how hard it is to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Once again, Jesus begins with you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, reminding us that He is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant and that you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from His mouth. He could not be any clearer than when He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I have prayed for my enemies and those who persecute me, as many of you have, by saying things like make him or her a better person, or make him or her a Christian, with the unspoken thought, so that they will quit being such a nuisance, a bother or a threat. This is skirting Jesus' teaching. He begins with But I say to you, love your enemies which precludes any preconditions, spoken or unspoken, I may add to my prayers. The real question here is, am I praying for my enemies and those who persecute me in order to obtain the keys to heaven, or can I truly love my enemies? Because it is in loving my enemies and praying, in love, for those who persecute me that I find the keys to the kingdom. This is very difficult. It is hard. It is impossible for some. This should remind us of the time a wealthy young man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing shall I do so that I may obtain eternal life? And, Jesus responded with, If you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad and went away grieving, for he was extremely rich. Then, Jesus said to his disciples, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, We have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time, and in the age to come eternal life. Taken from Luke 18 18-29. An aside and a note, there has been a story circulating, albeit false, which purports that there is actually a gate somewhere in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle, through which a camel could not pass unless it stooped down and had all its baggage first removed. After dark, when the main gates were closed, travelers and merchants would have to use this smaller gate. Great sermon material, with illustrations about how we must humble ourselves and remove our baggage before entering the kingdom. It would be quite convenient if this myth were true because it would legitimize people's affinity for money and probably the prosperity gospel as well. If the passage is about baggage and humility and not actually about wealth, then the prosperity preachers can breathe a big sigh of relief. However, this myth has been propagated since the 11th century, and it is completely made up. There is zero evidence to show that this gate ever existed other than stories brought back from Jerusalem tours. But what about the image, above, showing the eye of the needle? This wall passage did not exist when Jesus walked the earth, or any time close to his generation. This wall was built hundreds of years after Jesus' time. 
the gates of Jerusalem were destroyed in 70 AD and later rebuilt. Josephus, the first-century Jewish historian, wrote about the wall in Jerusalem, excepting the western wall. All the rest of the wall, surrounding Jerusalem, it was so thoroughly laid even with the ground by those that dug it up to the foundation, that there was left nothing to make those that came thither believe it, Jerusalem, had ever been inhabited. So, the image above would not exist in Jesus' time. Furthermore, the passage states that is it easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, not the needle. A needle refers to any needle. The needle would refer to a specific needle. This is not a mistake. Greek is an incredibly precise language, and definite articles, the, are hard to confuse with an indefinite article, a. Finally, I would point out that this type of hyperbole is common in Jewish literature and as well as other literature. Jesus, again, uses the term of a narrow gate in Matthew 713 13-14. Thus, it is not necessary to try to bend Jesus' words to mean something other than what they actually meant. This is why the disciples replied with this phrase in astonishment. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Matthew 19:25. Jesus was actually referring to a camel and an actual needle, and that the camel is a simile for every man and woman, boy and girl and the eye of the needle is a simile for the gate to the kingdom of heaven. So, everyone who is laden with the baggage and possessions of pride, high self-esteem, education, personal achievements, wealth, pedigree, education and the like cannot enter the kingdom. All of these things must first be put aside, discarded, before entering through the narrow gate. Secondly, Jesus is equally clear that in order to become a son of God you must first learn to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I can hear the echo of Peter's words, who then can be saved. Christians are called the sons or children of God in several of these senses, as his offspring, as adopted, as his disciples, as imitators of him. In this passage the word is applied to them because, in doing good to enemies, they resemble God. He makes his son to rise upon the evil and good, and sends rain, without distinction, on the just and unjust. So, his people should show that they imitate or resemble him, or that they possess his spirit, by doing good similarly. Next, in what seems the closing of any possible theological loopholes, Jesus reminds us that taking the low road, the ordinary expected path which all others travel, yields no reward. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You must choose to travel the high road, the road less traveled, that is the narrow path in order to find your reward. Finally, Jesus complete this teaching with the exclamatory words, You therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. I have heard so many explanations of this idea of perfections and of those many who say, this does not really mean perfect in the sense that God is perfect, instead it simply means mature. The word, perfect, here, does mean mature, but in the sense is consummated from going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal of perfection and maturity. Mature in our labors, our spiritual growth, in our mental capacities and our moral character, as reflected by Jesus. Made into His image. It is well illustrated with the old pirate's telescope, unfolding, extending out, one stage at a time to function perfectly, at full strength and in full effectiveness. It is when you reach this point of maturity that you are truly able to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven and you will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master. The Word of God truly means more than we could ever have imagined, and mastery of the Word of God and its application requires subjugating ourselves to complete and utter surrender to God's will and way. It involves becoming poor, crushed, 
in our spirit, in our mind and body, completely dead to our old selves. It is then and only then that God can begin to transform us from hopeless, destitute sinners into His child. It is then, and only then, that we, as joint heirs with Jesus, shall inherit the kingdom of God. If you find the time, refer to a short series It Ain't Easy which is about the difficulties you will face as Jesus' devoted disciple and the unspeakable wonders of His rewards. Your brother and friend. Mike Young. Next, the words of Jesus, what are you to do with them? Part 17, Practicing Your Righteousness. Previous, the words of Jesus, what are you to do with them? Part 15, Resist Not Evil.